word tonight. You're standing a lot tonight. I keep you in shape. And I want, well, let me do something. Let me take a little bit of liberty. Ladies, sit down, but not the men. Ladies, be seated just for a moment. Okay, men, this Saturday morning we're having a beast feast. And it's $10 a piece. You can go to Burger King, $10 a piece, but you're going to have all kinds of exotic food, rattlesnake. Who knows? Because we're going to be cooking what men have gotten when they went hunting, and then, of course, we're going to buy some things ourselves. But we're hearing from a man, Jack King, who is going to be sharing his testimony on how his father was murdered when he was a child, and he went in search of the killer, and in searching for the killer, found Christ. And I don't want you to miss this testimony. We guys need to fellowship. We, we isolate too easily, don't we? Well, if you can't come to a beast feast, I mean, if that's not masculine, I don't know what is. And I want to encourage you, show up 8 o'clock Saturday morning. There's nothing on that TV. You don't need to sleep in. Just And ladies, if, if you're married and your husband is standing, set the alarm and make him get out. Say, I'm kicking you out. Go to the Beast Feast this Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, and we will see you there. Okay. Yes, and you need to sign up at Jehovah Java or online. Okay? You guys, you hear me? With me? Amen? Say amen. Say Beast Feast. Okay, ladies, you can stand. Aren't they hopeless, ladies? All the ladies have to do is hear that they're having a meeting. They can hear it through the grapevine, and man, they're there. But you guys, i got to kick you a little bit, but I want you to be there. I'll be there. Uh, we're going to have a great time, so amen. Finding the Rock is starting tonight, a brand new one. How many of you are here for Finding the Rock? Let me see you. There's one. Raise your hand. Put them up. Right like that, Derek. Okay, let's get them down here. Come on down, Finding the Rock, and we're going to pray over you. Come on down. <laughs> All of you going through Finding the Rock, and we're just going to pray over this class. Who's teaching it? You're teaching it, George. Okay. All right, come on, Finding the Rock. Some, sometimes I really do feel like Bob Barker. Come on down. But it's going to be a great class. Mm -hmm. No, I don't think so. The men aren't having child care. No. Yeah, they're not. Okay, come on, George, and get a little closer, and we're going to pray over you guys. Lord, thank you for this class. We pray you'll bless it. And Lord, thank you for uh, using this uh, series to establish us and move us through the ministry of the church. Thank you for future leaders, future, uh, Lord, ministers in this house. We pray you'll bless this class in Jesus' name. Bless George as he teaches. Amen. All right, where are you taking them, George? This way. And there's one back here already, right? Okay, all right. Give them a hand as they go, as they begin their journey. All right. Now, the rest of you, we're going to have a prayer over Jude, and we're going to finish Jude tonight. So we went through Jude in six weeks. You didn't think we could do it, did you? 
We're going to finish Jude tonight. Now listen very carefully to me. Next Wednesday night, I won't be here. We won't be here. We'll be in Washington. We're, what is the conference, Kathy? It's a Watchman on the Wall conference. We're going we're gonna to be there. Uh, James Robinson is speaking. Um, Michelle Bachman is speaking. Who, uh, Jim DeMint. Erwin Lutz. There's a great speaker. We're going to be in Washington because we feel such a burden for America. We really do. And we felt like God wanted us to be there. James Robinson is opening up Thursday night uh, as the keynote speaker. And so we will be there. And uh, so, but I'll be here Sunday. We will be here Sunday. Did I say we'll be here Sunday? Okay. But not next Wednesday. And then we'll be back for Sunday. So we're not missing a Sunday, just next Wednesday. All right. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this incredible book. This letter penned by Jude, moved on by the Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray that you'll speak to our hearts tonight and teach us. We thank you, Lord, for building us up in the faith. And thank you for what this letter, going through this, has done for us in God, in our faith. Thank you, Lord, there's an answer to apostasy, and that's your word. Now, will you breathe a prayer tonight, church, and say, Lord, speak to me. And build me up in the faith in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Thank you. And let's, let's, uh, let's finish this up. This has been a great series. And, and uh, Wednesday after next, we're starting on the, the Creator Christ of Colossians. Colossians is going to tell us more about who Jesus is than most of the letters. It is an incredible, what we would call, Christological letter. That is, it's going to help us understand who Jesus really was and is. It's going to make us solid in our understanding of Jesus. So that's Colossians, starting week after next, okay? But now let's finish this tonight. Last time, in verses 12 through 16... We saw that apostates, and what is an apostate? Those that have turned their backs on the truth to embrace a lie. The truth that is in Jesus Christ. They've turned their backs on the truth that is in Jesus Christ and embraced a lie. So an apostate knew the truth and walked away. All right? Now, we saw last time that they are tremendously deceptive. Ultimately, disappointing because they never deliver what they teach, never delivers what they say it will. They are spiritually dead. Apostates are terribly dangerous. And they are eternally doomed. This is all what Jude told us, okay? Why are we going through these letters? And again, can I remind you how many times the Bible warns about false teaching? and apostasy, the danger of walking away from the faith and embracing a lie. When we go into Colossians, Colossians is Jude on steroids. Colossians is, was written to attack Gnosticism, to answer the heresy of Gnosticism. So if you go through all the letters in the New Testament that were written to counter false teaching, it's a bunch of them. Because it was a problem then, and it's a problem now. What is heresy? Any teaching that marginalizes or takes away from the work and the person of Jesus Christ. 
Show me a cult, and I'll show you a teaching that takes away from the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That's what cults do. They're not a cult unless they do that. Every cult does it. Mormons do it. Jehovah's Witnesses do it. You name it, they all do it. They take away from the work and the person of Christ. So Jude was written, remember now, to counter, to answer, to expose the heresy of Gnosticism. If you don't know what Gnosticism is, grab the first CD of this series, and, it, and I went into it, and I'll go into it way more when we start Colossians. Now, this time Jude addresses the church. He calls us beloved. How many of you love that, that phrase, beloved? That's a term reserved for the believer, not the apostate. In Scripture, we are called believers, disciples, Christians, brothers, sisters, but above all, we are God's beloved. Remember that song, I am my beloved's and he is mine, his banner over me is love. Okay, we are God's beloved. You are God's beloved. Amen? Now, it is the name that God gave for his son. Remember when the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus at the river? This is my what kind of son? Beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. It was the name by which many of the disciples were known. And it's the name above all names in the Song of Solomon. You hear beloved over and over and over in the Song of Solomon, which is a, in some ways, a metaphorical picture of Jesus and the bride, his bride, the bride of Christ. Now, God never calls an angel his beloved, never. Lucifer, prior to his tragic fall, was never called God's beloved. But you, the church, are called God's beloved. He loves you with an everlasting love. You are his beloved. Now, he says in verse 17, But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, key word there is remember. Can we say it together? Remember. Now, remember I told you about Peter and how he was known as the apostle of remembrance? He's always saying, I want to remind you, I want to remind you, I want to remind you of this, that, and the other. Well, here we're being told, remember, don't forget. Let me remind you. And Jude calls us back to the book, the Bible. And he reminds us of what Luke calls in Acts 2.42, the apostles' doctrine. Now, when I say the word doctrine, you probably think, oh, that's dry, that's boring, but doctrine will save your life. Doctrine will keep you sane. Doctrine will keep your family together. Doctrine will keep you off of drugs and alcohol and out of sin and walking with God. Doctrine will deliver you from the false teaching of her heretical apostates. Doctrine. Now, what does he mean when he says uh, the apostles' doctrine? What was the apostles' doctrine? Well, by the time Jude wrote this letter, most of the books of the New Testament had been written and they were in circulation already, most of them. The church had no excuse for being deceived by the apostates. And if they didn't then, we sure don't now. They didn't have 30 different versions to choose from. They just had letters floating around the church written by the apostles. That's it. We've got 30 different versions and, 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 and good grief. You can find a Bible on, you know, and the Word of God can be accessed anywhere. Now, they had no excuse and neither do we. The great word is remember. 
But you can't remember something you've never known. God expects us to know, to study, and memorize His Word. Amen? I mean, there it is. You've got it in your lap, the Bible, the Word of God. God doesn't expect you to look at it or put it on a, as, as a centerpiece on your coffee table so when people come over, they think you're spiritual. And these great big Bibles you could kill a man with. That doesn't matter if you've got it if it's not in your heart. Now, why does he want you to memorize his word, know it, study it like we're doing on Wednesday nights? Because apostates and all other false teachers and cults trade on ignorance. They hope you're ignorant. That's why if you come here, you will not be ignorant of the word of God. You will not be ignorant. I will not let you be ignorant. If you want to be ignorant, you're going to have to leave. Go somewhere else. Well, they'll let you be ignorant. I'm not going to let you be ignorant in the Word of God because I know that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Now, so what are we to know? Oh, and by the way, if you really knew the Word of God and those Mormons come knocking on your door, you can send them into a lunatic fit in two minutes flat if you know the Word of God. They trade on ignorance. Now, the Apostles' doctrine can be grouped into several main things. First, we have a series of writings that deal with the Christian and his beliefs. This is in your New Testament. A series of letters that deal with the Christian and his beliefs. And in that same New Testament, we've got writings that deal with that which is fundamental, the fundamentals of the faith, which is what finding the rock takes you through. The four Gospels, what are they? They set before us the person of Christ. All that red ink. In most of your Bibles, when you're going through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John introduce us to the Lord Jesus Christ, His words, His actions, His ministry, His miracles. And then you come to the book of Romans after Acts, and Romans sets before us the principles of Christianity. Romans is, I mean, no word of God is better than any other, but every believer ought to know the book of Romans. These two these two things comprise the foundations of the faith. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John give us the essential facts about the virgin birth of Christ. His sinless life. His miracles. His teaching. His atoning death. His burial. His resurrection. His ascension. And His promise coming again. You're going to get all of that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Crucial. The Christian faith stands or falls with these doctrines. If you take the doctrine away of his sinless life, his miracles, teaching, atoning, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and promise coming again, you have no Christianity. You don't have any. You've got just another, an, another deal you can get involved in, not a faith that saves. So we've got to get those down. Now, remember, Romans can indeed be called the gospel according to Paul. Then come a series of epistles dealing with that which is false. Okay? These letters deal with things that are antagonistic to the faith. And what were they? Legalism, that's the book of Galatians. They were trying to pull the Christians back under the law. Gnosticism, that's dealt with in Colossians and Jude. Judaism, those also. 
And Paul dealt with all of these in Galatians, Colossians, and Hebrews. Okay? The liberty of the Christian, he dealt with in Galatians. The lordship of Christ, he dealt with in Colossians. And the legitimacy of the church, he dealt with in Hebrews. And they're all vindicated by the Holy Spirit. Now next, there are those writings that deal with that which is future. What we call eschatological has to do with the future. What is that? Well, the rapture of the church, the rupture of society that is coming as surely as we're sitting here. And the return of the Lord are the themes of 1 and 2 Thessalonians and the book of Revelation. Now, next we have a group of writings that deal with the Christian and his brethren. The book of Acts gives us the origins of the church. Where did the church come from? Is it just man's idea? No. Let me tell you what your birthday was. Your birthday was when the Holy Ghost fell on the day of Pentecost. That was the birthday of the church. And that was a great birthday party, wasn't it? That was a great birth. When the Holy Spirit fell on the church and we were empowered, that was our birthday. The book of Acts gives us the origins of the church. Then the operation of the church is the subject of both 1 Corinthians, which deals with truth concerning the local church, and Ephesians, which deals with the universal church. We learn all about the church. Isn't it great that God the Holy Ghost gave us so much revelation? Let me tell you something about revelation, difference between revelation and knowledge. These things that I'm going over right here that God has revealed to us in the Word if you had lived to be a million years old, you would have never, ever, ever figured them out with your intellect. You would have never discovered them on your own. These are things that had to be revealed by revelation. When you open up your Bible, you're reading revelation. Things that God decided to show us that left to ourselves we would never have found out, never have known. How would we know about angels? How do we know about the invisible world of spirits, their hierarchy, demon spirits, angels, cherubim, seraphim, archangels? How would we know about the spiritual warfare going on right now in that fourth dimension, the spirit dimension, if God had not given us divine revelation? We'd have never known it. So what we're going over right now, just looking at the New Testament, is what God in His mercy decided to let us know about. Because if He hadn't done it, we'd have not known it. Aren't you thankful for the Word of God? Amen. Now, the officers of the church are ordained in 1 Timothy and Titus, the emphasis being on spiritual and moral fitness. One does not become an officer, can I tell you the truth tonight? One does, and you, those of you listening by radio, listen carefully. You do not become an officer of the church, deacon, elder, pastor, by popular vote. It's not a good old boy contest. It's not a who's got the money and we'll put them in contest. It's not a democracy here. Well, that's not the way I saw it, Pastor Jeff, growing up. Well, then you saw it wrong. Because guess what? It's not your social status. It's not your success in business. Rather, an officer of the church, deacon, elder, pastor, 
should be called by God. And if they're called, not called by God, they shouldn't get within 100 yards of ministry. And be morally and spiritually fit. This is why I've got to tell you, and I'll get, I'll get feedback on this, I will. But I've got to tell you, there is such a deception moving across the body of Christ now that we think we can ordain people living in immoral lifestyles homosexuality, living in, in what the Bible clearly reveals to be sexual sin, and yet we would lay hands on them and anoint them and place them into positions of spiritual leadership in order to show a totally depraved culture that we have love? That's not love. Love is when you tell the truth in love. That's love. And that is a part of an incredible apostasy taking place in front of our very eyes today. Now, the remaining epistles deal with the Christian and his behavior. The epistle to the Philippians deals with situations. Philemon deals with slavery. James emphasizes sincerity. First Peter deals with suffering. First John has to do with sonship. Second John emphasizes separation or sanctification. And third John deals with strife. And all of these things the Holy Ghost knew we would need to know about and that we needed instruction on. So there you have the New Testament in a real, real brief nutshell, all that God has given to us by divine revealing, divine revelation. Because all Scripture was given by inspiration of God. And holy men of God were moved on by the Holy Spirit, born along, carried along. And as they wrote, they were being led by and moved on by the Holy Ghost so that every jot and tittle were accurate in the original text. Now, every believer is expected to know these books. I want you to read this with me out loud, can we? Every believer is expected to know these books and the doctrines they contain. The more you know, the more deceit-proof you are. The more you know, the mightier in spirit you will be. Did not Jesus our Savior say to us, you will know the truth, and it's that truth that will set you free. Didn't he say that? Well, what truth? Divine revelation, truth, which we have in abundance in the Holy Bible, 66 books sitting in your lap of red, hot, straight word from God. You ought to love it, cherish it, thank God for it. Amen. Now Jude says, remember. To do so is to save yourself, to remember many a heartache and to guard against the predatory attacks of false teachers and prophets that are everywhere today. Once again, uh, Jude brings a warning. Let's hear the warning. He says, how they told you. He's talking about men of God preceding him. How they told you that there would be what in the last time? Mockers who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. Again and again. We are warned in Scripture of the proliferation of mockers in the last days. Look at what Peter said. Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3.3, 3, it's almost word for word the same as what we read in Jude. Knowing this first, that scoffers, same word as mockers, will come in the last days. That means they will, they will 
proliferate, they will increase. In the last days, walking according to their own lusts. Almost a perfect echo of what we just read in Jude 17. Paul likewise warned, quote, but know this, in the last days, there's that phrase again, last days, before the coming of Christ, perilous times will come. That word perilous, by the way, in the Greek language means highly stressful. Highly stressful times will come in the last days. Now, let me show you what makes it stressful. The character of people that we're about to read is what makes it stressful because everybody's out for themselves. Look what he says. For men will be lovers of themselves. Look what has happened to the character of men in the last days. Lovers of themselves. We would say narcissistic. Lovers of money. Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving. Can you imagine running with people like this? Who wants to have as a friend somebody like this or be married to somebody like this? Lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Can you imagine if you're running around with people like this, how stressful that would be? Unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, always running other people down, without self-control. They have no self-control. Their passions are out of control. Brutal means mean-spirited, vicious, despisers of those that are good. Are we seeing that today? I ask you. Have you noticed that if you're godly or good or conservative or you believe in Jesus Christ and you're trying to live a righteous life, have you noticed that you are despised for it more and more and more? Do you know that right now people are being martyred all over the world? People are losing their lives because they name the name of Christ. Martyrs' blood is being shed as we speak in many places around the globe. Why are they despised? Because they're good. Why are they despised? Because they love the Lord. Can you believe that? But it's true. Traitors, backstabbers, headstrong, stubborn, haughty, lovers of pleasure instead of loving God. Do you see America in there anywhere right now? And doesn't it seem to be accelerating as the days go by? Now look what he goes on to say. Having a form of godliness, they love looking religious. They love impressing people with their religion, but denying its power. And from such people, what are you supposed to do? Now is that being snooty? Have you noticed that when you tell the lost that you're a believer, they turn away? No, of course they do. So from such people turn away. We're going to talk about that more in just a minute. Now, as Janes and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds, they are disapproved concerning the faith. And these are what uh, this typifies or characterizes the character of people in the last days that aren't saved. Now, Jude says they are immoral. They walk after their own ungodly lust. That's what they're chasing after. And I really do believe there's two kinds of people in the world. Those that are walking after God 
and those that are walking after their own ungodly lusts. I don't believe in a fence anymore. I used to say, well, get off the fence. You're sitting on the fence. I don't believe it that there is one anymore. You're either walking after your own ungodly lusts and passions or you're walking after Christ. There's two kinds of people in the world. And I don't know about you, but I like having peace within. And I'm going to walk after Christ because as I do, He gives me peace. He gives me joy. He gives me fulfillment. There is such a peace knowing you're in the center, the epicenter of the will of God. And if you walk after your own ungodly lusts, what a horrible fate awaits you. What a reaping awaits you. Terrible. Now notice mockery and immorality Jude places side by side. The Bible often makes the connection between unbelief and a breakdown in the moral fiber of individuals and nations. Again, I point to America. Can you track it back to the early 60s when we decided, let's get God out of the schools, let's get the scriptures out, let's get prayer out, let's begin to just give God a nudge out. We really don't need God anymore. We're becoming, we're becoming very bright, educated secularists. And I want you to notice where it's gotten us. Look at our culture today and look at it in the late 50s to early 60s before we kick God out. Look at what we're producing out of our schools. They can't read. They can't write. They can't speak. They can't put together complete sentences. They walk after their ungodly lusts. They live for the flesh. Look at what we've produced. Why? Because God is the cornerstone of all good education. And if you take him out, you are plunging yourself into darkness. And we've seen it true now. So here's Jude saying, yeah, there is a connection between those that mock or ridicule God and immorality. In verse 19, Jude points out, quote, These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. Word of personal testimony here as a pastor of many years. I have observed this pattern time and again. Look carefully at what he said. They separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. I've noticed through the years that a wrong spirit in a person always results in separation from the body of Christ or certain members thereof. Apostasy is seen as a great source of divisions among God's people. I've noticed when somebody gets offended and they don't deal with it, they always end up separating themselves. When somebody begins to listen to false teaching, you will notice, I mean, you can count on it, they always end up separating themselves, isolating themselves, moving away from, I hate to call it the herd, but we are called sheep. And I do know that when wolves are trying to get a sheep, they look for the one that drops back from the herd. They wait for the one that separates from the herd. And once that little sheep separates from the herd, they surround him and they attack him. They nip at his heels and at his legs until he drops, and then it's over. There is, there is a satanic strategy with people who are in church. And I'm going to tell you, the, the devil will try to bring an offense. 
And you say, well, you know, it really bugged me that this or that or the other happened. And, you know, I, I'm, just, I'm just not so sure about this thing anymore. And you begin to get critical and begin to pick things apart. And the offense has caused you to have a grudge. And if you don't deal with that, you will, I promise you, separate yourself. You'll begin to drop back from the herd. And it won't be long before we hear. Not that we want to hear, but we'll hear that the wolves nipped at your legs and over time you dropped and fell into something that you never thought you would or could. That's why I'm always warning you about the danger of an offense, that you don't take care of it. You've got to take care of it. You've got to forgive. You've got to move on. You have to let things go. You've got to give things to God and leave them there. I've seen the devil use offenses over and over again and false teaching. He nips at your heels till finally you're believing something that the body that you have been involved in doesn't believe, doesn't embrace. It's not orthodox. Like this latest, um, what I think is heresy, that came from one of these so-called emergent churches. And now this pastor of 7,000 people teaching that there is no eternal hell. And this heresy begins to move through a church. And folks, I'm telling you, it's out there. That's why I'm teaching you the Word of God all the time. And I warn you about certain things. Because I don't want to see the devil separate you, isolate you, and then take you down. Look what Paul said. He, Paul wrote to the uh, church in the early history of the church, and he said this in Romans 16, verse 17. Brethren, Mark them which cause divisions and offenses. That word mark is the same as when a man puts a prey in a scope in crosshairs. And he's saying, put in the crosshairs. Those who are causing divisions and offenses contrary to the what? There's that word. Doctrine which you have what? Learned and do what? There it is again. Avoid them. Put them in the crosshairs. Uh-oh, that person is teaching something I have not learned. God didn't teach me. It's not in the Word of God. It's not sound. And it says, separate yourself. Avoid them. Get away from them. Stay with the herd that is walking in truth. The word separate here, where he says separate yourself. Uh, um, those who are causing separation, the word separate means complete separation, total separation. A wrong, critical, judgmental, murmuring spirit is virtually always accompanied by some level of separation and isolation. Always. Now the future troublemakers pull away. Then they begin to sow their seeds of discord. Sniping at the church from a distance. Now Jude says that the apostate, he's sensual, having not the spirit. They may be educated. They may be smooth. They're always smooth. Convincing, charismatic, persuasive, but the acid test is whether or not they have the Spirit of God. I saw this pastor of this emergent church interviewed, smooth, convincing, persuasive, likable, but dead wrong. So I, I look at the fruit. You will know them by their charisma. No, he said what? They're fruit. Now, Jude next proceeds with his second use of the phrase, but you, beloved. So here comes the second time. 
But you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. How many of you are thankful for the Holy Spirit of God? Amen? The Holy Spirit of God. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. I wouldn't be up here without the Holy Spirit. I'd have never preached without the Holy Spirit. First, he says we've got an inward look, building up yourselves. That's an inward look. Jude says you're building yourself up, you. Notice, I can't do it. Building up who? Who's doing it? You are. Building up yourself on your most holy faith. I can teach you on a Wednesday night or Sunday morning, but I can't be there in the morning when the alarm goes off early enough for you to get up and get with God and get into the Word and build yourself up. I can't do that. I can lead you to the water, but I can't make you drink. Okay? He said, you've got to do some things for yourself, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. Jude is encouraging that we become actively involved in building character, conviction, and commitment into our lives on top of the foundation that's already been laid, which is Jesus Christ. How many of you are here tonight because of Jesus Christ? Amen? Now, when you believed and accepted Him, a cement foundation was laid in your soul. A foundation. And that foundation was Jesus Christ. But now, it's going to be built on because a foundation is only good. It's only put there for a reason. You put a foundation down, something's going on top of it. So what goes on top of it? Well, that's what we are to build on. Character, conviction, commitment, doctrine, walking with God, spiritual maturity. Look what Paul said in Corinthians. He said, according to the grace of God that was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid the foundation." And another person builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. Well, what does that mean? Well, you can build wood, hay, and stubble on that foundation and never really build something solid. Or you can build the Word of God on that foundation. One of the best ways to build on the foundation is to meditate in the Word of God. Get that Word in you. Erase and replace. Erase the stinking thinking and replace it with God thoughts. Because that's what the Bible is. It's God thoughts. It's God thoughts. God words. Now second, not only an inward look, but we've got an upward look. What does he say? Praying. That's upward. Praying in the Holy Ghost. We're to watch and pray. Now I'm watching you right now. Now let me... As I'm watching you, if I'm watching real close, and I saw somebody stand up and pull a gun out, God forbid, make the sign of the cross, though I'm not Catholic. But if I saw that, or let me put it this way, I would not see it unless I was carefully watching. We're under attack, folks. You are under attack every day. And the minute you think you're not and everything's going great, ho-wham! There it comes. And you get awakened to the fact that I'm in a war until I go to heaven. The devil has got you in the crosshairs. There is a target on your chest, a target on your back. I'm not afraid of the devil, but I am also not stupid. I know he walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. 
Every day, he's going to look for a way to get in. So, i got to be a watcher. And watching sights the enemy. Praying fights the enemy. When I see the enemy coming at my life with a satanic assignment, then I go into prayer and I say, Lord Jesus, I plead the blood. I put on the armor of God. I pray that you will remove this. I pray that you will help me deal with this. I take the word, the sword of the spirit in the one hand, shield of faith in the other, and I do spiritual warfare because my battle is not with people with skin. My battle is against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, and spiritual wickedness in high places. I know who my enemy is. And you don't fight a spiritual enemy with flesh. You might as well spit at the sun. No, no, you put yourself, you make yourself mighty in God. You wrap yourself in the Word of God. You get up and you give your life to God. You submit to God. It says submitting to God and resisting the devil. That means you can't resist the devil if you're not submitted to God. You've got to say, you are my Lord today. Today, Lord, grace me to walk with you. Today, grace me to walk full of the Holy Ghost. Today, I put your word in my mind and in my heart. Today, I am a child of God. Today, I will walk with you. With all. Today, Lord, I have the strength to walk with God. And I do it day by day. Watching sights the enemy. Oh, here he comes. Praying, fights the enemy. There he goes. Just had some preach come on me a little bit there. All right. So we got an inward look. We have an upward look. And look, we've got an outward look. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Now, how is that outward? I'm going to show you. When engaging the apostate in battle, it's easy to become angry, bitter, dislike them, become fleshly in the fight. I've done this. I have done this. I have to deal with it pretty often with our mainstream media and, and other people who I just feel are being so destructive to our culture right now. And if I'm not careful, I can, I can really have a problem with them. So I have to say, Lord, I've got to keep my heart clean here. He says, he says, keep yourselves in love. He's not talking about you and me staying in the love of God. He's talking about outwardly how we show love to even our enemies. So Jude warns, be careful that you maintain your love toward others, remembering that they have been duped by the enemy and are his unwitting tools. This is the only way Jesus could look from the cross and say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They were duped by the devil. So he was able to keep a heart of love and not get in the flesh, which he never did. Never got in the flesh. Finally, there's the onward look. There's inward, upward, outward, onward. He said, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. The word looking is from a Greek word meaning to wait for. It carries the idea of expectation. Jesus used the same word that Jude used right there when he said, we were to be like men that wait, 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 for their Lord when he will return from the wedding. That's to be our attitude, waiting for the Lord. Now next, 
Coming to the end here, Jude encourages us to distinguish. This is very important. Very important, child of God. Listen carefully to this. We are to distinguish between the apostate whose doom is sealed and the unfortunate people they have deceived. Hence, the need for soul winners to lead the deceived to Christ. With some people, he says, compassion is needed. And on some, have compassion. Making a distinction. This person is duped, deceived, and salvageable. And so with some people, compassion works. Compassion. Some people have sincere doubts. They, I call them sincere doubters, honest doubters. They have honest doubts. They want honest answers. They have false misconceptions about God. They've been lied to. To these we must show compassion. Love, says Jude, can touch a person where words cannot. I've, I, man, I'm a debater. I'll debate with you all day long, but I, I've debated some people where I walked away knowing it's not words that are going to do it. It's going to be me just loving them. And, and i got to tell you, some people in my family, that way. Only love is going to do it. I'm just going to shut up and love them. It used to be when Christmas came around, they'd see me coming, and it didn't bless them. Well, here comes the preacher. Now I've learned, just shut up and love them. Just be quiet and love them, because it's not going to be by words, it's going to be by love. Making a distinction, okay? Still with others, caution is needed. Look what he says. Others save with fear. Now, does that mean, and I don't mean anything by this, but scaring the hell out of them? You know, I preached a message once called, Who in hell are you? See, you had a problem with that right there. But remember when the demon said, Paul I know, Jesus I know. So in hell, they had a reputation. So I was asking the church people, Who in hell are you? That's another day. Maybe I need to pull that one out of the hat. And preach it. Because I would like to know, I wonder how many of us are really where the devil hopes you don't walk into a room full of lost people. All right? Now, but see, he says, some you save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. What does that mean? Here's what it means. You've got to be very wise in dealing with some people. Because their lifestyles can be contaminating. Now watch this. There are some lost, some lost folks that would be thrilled to corrupt the would-be soul winner. Or to put him in an embarrassing situation where he could be accused of improper behavior and ruined. You've got to be very careful when you're dealing with very bound up people. For instance, those trapped in deep immorality can be very contaminating. Should they go into detail concerning their lives? I do not let anybody I counsel, I will not let them go into detail about their sinful lifestyle. I say, all I need to know is generalities and then just leave it right there. You know, if you're living in sexual sin, leave it there. I don't want details. I won't let you give me details. 
Because I'm not going to give the devil something he can use to play on my mind with. I'm serious now. You got to be wise. That's what he's saying. Some you got to pull out of the flame with fear. Being very careful for yourself. Indeed, the immoral, for example, their very presence, the way they dress or the way they talk can be contaminating. So you've got to go in. Listen, there are some people you ought not deal with till you are fully girded in the armor of God and washed in the blood and full of the Holy Ghost and walking in wisdom. Or you don't need to be around them. Those that are trapped in the darkness of drugs, they don't hesitate to involve others in what has snared their own souls. They'll talk about how good the drug makes them feel. I will not let a druggie tell me that. I have asked a couple of them, now what in the world, how in the world could you give your whole life away for that? But then when they start describing the buzz, I say, stop, I don't want to hear it. I will never let the devil have something that he can bring up into my mind and use to tempt me away into something. We've got to be wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove. That's what Jude is saying. Peter warned about the danger of what Jude is addressing. Look what Peter wrote. Quote, with an appeal to twisted sexual desires, they, that is the, the bound, the lost, lure back into sin those who have barely escaped from a lifestyle of deception. Peter goes on. They promise freedom. Oh, yeah. Have a little snore of this, a little toke of that, a little smoke of this, a little shot of that. You'll feel great. They promise freedom. But they themselves are slaves to that sin, and they are being corrupted and destroyed by the very thing they're trying to lure you into. And Peter said, here's a universal principle. You are a slave to whatever controls you. That's why you should not be brought under the bondage of anything but Jesus Christ. Listen to me, church. You can't have one foot in the world, one foot in the kingdom of God. Don't get so close to the flame. Well, I'm just going to see how close I can get to that little fire without being burned. And you'll be walking around that little flame, and one day you'll realize you fell straight in. Get as far away from sin as you can. quiet in here tonight because see the devil wants to bring you into control you can be saved as the day is long and fall as a slave to something that god didn't have for you now listen caution says jude caution caution sign churches that minister to the deeply bound must exercise more than ordinary care the temptation to be lured into the very things that have bound others is ever present i'll never forget in closing here i uh, back in the 70s, there was a very well-known preacher who ministered in um, uh, New Orleans. won't say his name, doesn't matter, but he was very well-known as being a very effective evangelist with street people. And wrote a book, and everybody knew who he was, and then I, I realized I hadn't heard about him in a long time. Then I heard that the very street people he'd been ministering to, prostitutes, drug addicts, and all of this, he had been lured into that very lifestyle he got too close. And now he's been through several marriages. Most of his life where he could have been effective has been eclipsed by what happened to him because he did not minister to those people with fear, with care about his own soul. This includes the offended as well. It's an easy thing to rather than helping them out of their offense, fall into the same offense, leaving both counselor and counselee contaminated 
Hence Jude warns, others saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments defiled by the flesh. And you know the word fear here is phobos, phobia. It means dread, it means terror, it means you ought to be, you ought to have a healthy dread of sin. While we are not to be afraid of people who practice extreme forms of sin, we do need to have a healthy fear of the dangers that surround them as we seek to win them to Christ. Pulling them out of the fire, says Jude, the word for pull is to seize or snatch away. The same word used by Paul to describe the rapture. How are we going out of here? Boom! Snatched away immediately, instantly in the blink of an eye. He says, pull those that are really bound. He, here's what he's saying. There should be no dalliance in dealing with the, these kinds of sinners. We don't discuss the details of their lifestyles. We do not show any curious interest in their sinful behavior. If we're going to get the job done, we must do it swiftly and surgically, ensuring that we ourselves do not get burned by the terrible fires that they have kindled in their own souls. Hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. How graphic can that be? The picture here is of a leper in his clothes. Would you put on a leper's clothes? I wouldn't. Would you put on the clothes of somebody that wore them all day that had HIV? Probably wouldn't do anything to you, but still it's the idea, right? The word for spotted here is stained or defiled. It might refer to diseases that can be transmitted from a person's body to his clothes and then passed on to others. Or it might be a warning about establishing too close an intimacy with people who are trapped in particularly vile forms of sin. All of Jude's warnings encourage extreme caution when we are dealing with certain kinds of people. We can love them, but must utterly detest what they do and never lose that distinction. Now I want us to stand and read the close together. Wasn't this a great letter? Didn't he give us a good warning? Now I want you to preach it to me because this is going to go on radio, not just because of that, but this is a great benediction. I love this. So let's read it together. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Give him a hand of praise tonight. Thank you, Lord. Now, Father, we are a rescuing, delivering, demon casting out, gospel preaching church. But Lord, we also need that wisdom that Jude had to say. Give us wisdom, Lord, to deal with those that are very bound and to keep our own hearts clean. Help us to apply the wisdom that came by the Holy Spirit from this apostle of God. And Lord, give us the wisdom and the knowledge of your word that we would become very versed in Scripture. That the heretics, the apostates, false teaching will never, ever deceive us. But we will be deliverers, not those needing to be delivered. Help us to grow up into you 
in the fullness of the stature of Christ. And may the anointing of God rest on this church to be able to step into a situation where someone is very bound and see them delivered by the power of God. In Jesus' name, let's just sing a chorus before we go tonight. Thank you, Lord.